Sonic States. There we go. Hello there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 194, recording live today, Wednesday, the 20th of October. Uh, available at all good um, MP3 download available spots tomorrow, Thursday, the edited version. This is the live stream. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, we've got plenty of people in the chat room. Those who perhaps don't know what I'm talking about and would like to experience this thing I call the live show, four o'clock UK time, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, where there's a live chat room and you can listen to the live stream and there's a video of me with uh, two cameras. In fact, there we go. That's the the Moog microstation in M1 piano mode just there. So uh, welcome, everybody. I've got, uh, we've got a special set of guests here. Well, every week's a special set. But we've got a new guest in the form of Houston Singletary, who's uh, chief product. How would you describe yourself? Is it chief product demonstrator, chief product specialist? What's, the, what's your official title? I don't, think it's any, I don't think it's anything that official. Just, you know, I'm the clinician. I'm the lead clinician and the U.S. trainer. So, you know. I'm not sure about the word chief. Chief. But, I, um, well, I like the word chief. I'm going like, to. In a way, it's. I think we'll go with that. But no, it's uh, just I'm the lead clinician for okay. Ableton and the training, so I do all the workshops and stuff. So. Ah, okay. So um, you are the expert in the in the case. Well, I, I will come back to you in a minute. But uh, thank you very much for joining us, Houston. And uh, while we're on that side of whereabouts are you? Are you in uh, on the east coast? Yes. East coast. Another east coast. Um, attendee richard hilton in connecticut rich hilton of course uh, is uh, chief engineer producer uh, studio pilot musician at uh at Nile rogers studio how are you rich you well very well thank you i like that chief thing. the chief i think i think we're going to introduce yeah. chief chief is going to be the dave's i think dave's going to be chief and gaz is going to be chief too okay i'll yeah, be i'm not sure what i'll ready. be i'll just be uh, something else but anyway rich i'm pleased to have you aboard thank you for joining us myspace.com forward slash alternatives by the way rich i saw the pictures of le crib too they look lovely those those racks looked absolutely gorgeous Oh, cool. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed. Yeah, very nice. Anyway, thanks for joining us. And um, coming back over this side, we'll jump over to uh, Dave Spears, as we just mentioned him. Dave Spears, g4software.com, chief synth expert at at g4software.com. Will that do, Dave? Is that okay? Yeah, Miss Chief. Miss Chief. Miss Chief. (laughs) Chieftain. The Chieftain. (laughs) Excellent. Well, uh, anyway, thank you for joining us as well, Dave. And... um, well, I'm glad to hear you've got yourself a proper mic. At least it sounds like it. Yeah, it was good. I just legged it down to Dawson's, picked it up, came back, plugged it in. It worked first time. None of this cheap, yeah. cheap shoddy stuff I sent over, eh? None of this non, non um, class compliant Sonic State tat. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Uh, and uh, that other chuckle you heard there is uh, Mr. Gaz Williams, who's in Bristol. Uh, Gaz Williams, of course, is a working music producer. Constantly on the go. In fact, we're very lucky to have him. He's always uh, always extremely busy. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, good. Thanks. I'm actually in the middle of a session, but I've just taken some time out to do this show. So, oh uh, really? What have you left the band doing? <laughs> they, they've gone for a walk. Ah, oh, a long walk. So, well, I hope it's not raining. It absolutely chucked it. Oh, it's a lovely day for it. It's a lovely day. Yes, a lovely a autumnal day. Well, anyway, yeah. welcome everybody. Um, I first wanted to talk quickly to Houston because uh, you are the new guest on the show, and um, of course, uh, there's a lot of things afoot at Ableton. Uh, what What have you been up to recently? What's kind of on your to do list or uh, being done list right now? Well, you know, as always, there's something new brewing at, at Ableton, but we uh, we released 8.2 a few weeks ago, and uh, we've got some new instruments, um, including amp, 
which is the guitar simulator cabinet simulator. Um, and we also tied in the release of the bridge, which is getting a lot of uh, a lot of yeah. feedback, which ties in the Serato alignment. Uh, we're having live work within Serato Scratch Live. So uh, between those two, we're doing a lot of travel, doing uh, workshops and trainings and launch launch events. We have a big bridge tour kicking off next week in New York. So. Um, and the partner instruments, too, are getting a lot of feedback. And that's basically uh, our alignment with, with different companies, um, software companies, releasing you know, different instruments that work inside live within the interface. So That's right, yeah. I've got know, a few of them. I've, been, I've been checking them out, actually. I've been checking them out. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Cool. Got a few of those. I like the drum ones, especially. I, I, yeah. Only partly because they're much smaller <laughs> and less less large to download, but uh, yeah, no, I really like those. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Sonica Tour, Pure Magnetic, and those guys. And then we released some new stuff last week from Sonica and another AAS uh-huh. collection. So lots of lots of stuff there on the website to check out. And there were, we recently had a live update as well, didn't we? Absolutely. With 8.2. the amp, with amp. Um, the AMP plugin, plugin amongst yeah, other AMP, things. Uh, AMP is part of Suite 8. You know, we've got three products, Intro and Live 8 and Suite 8. So the Suite 8 users get the new AMP uh, and cabinet with the release of 8.2. But you can also check that out on the 8.2 trial online, too. So if you're a curious guitar um, guitar tone chief, you can uh, you can check that <laughs> stuff out. But, um Yeah. It's, it's uh, funny, isn't it? Every, everybody's doing it, isn't it? Guitars, what's happening? I thought guitars and electronic music were supposed to be separate, but now guitars are just getting into everything. I mean, it's just, it's just unfair. You know, they've got their own little area, and we, you know, now they're all kind of muscling in on the uh, on our electronic music stuff. It's not, it's not on, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> you know, Alive allows it, allows that creation with racks. So if you're already familiar with Live and the process of chaining together different instruments as racks inside Live. You know, amp and and cabinet really unleash a lot of potential just outside of that normal cabinet emulation or amp simulation type of plugin. So, did you um, just out of interest? Do you know any? I mean, you must see a lot of different setups and really cool ways that people are using live. Any anybody you know using it as actually a kind of a, a rack instrument in terms of for live playback for for effective you know, guitar? Absolutely. You know, it's funny you ask that. There's a there's a producer engineer named Nick Dedia that's based on the East Coast that works with a fantastic uh, rock and roll producer named Brendan O'Brien. And Nick has been using the uh, audio effect plugin called external audio effect inside live and routing that through the console tracking drums and also doing reamping and all kinds of interesting stuff that way on large format console stuff. So that's probably one of the more interesting things I've seen using live in sort of a, a, a big environment like that, like really tracking, you know, multiple mic drums and guitars in the studio. So um, it's nice to see that. And then, of course, I'm seeing every day, I'm, it never ceases to amaze me how how the guys out there are using, you know, the APC-40 and the Novation Launchpad and you, you controlling stuff. It's just... Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. that I, I, did, I did a review of the uh, Launchpad, and I was really... I really liked the way that integrated, actually. It was very nice. It was, it was very... It, it worked really well. I sent it back. I really wish I'd actually taken advantage of journalistic discount and hung on to that because it's it's a cool little unit actually. It really, it really is. Gets it's you thinking in different. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, and it does, that's a good point. It gets you thinking a little bit different than than knobs and sliders in a way. But um, you know, between both of those products, there's just so many possibilities with with a lot of these live users out there on stage yeah. and in the studio. You know, 
in different setups. So, so do you find that you're getting called because you're like the main man in the states? Do you get called in to kind of help um, with big touring rigs and stuff where people are using live and they just need a little bit of a kind of help on how it I, might best be set up? I get, I do get a lot of calls, and unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, we have a lot of legs on the ground in the states and in Canada. Um, in different parts of the country where I can actually refer some of our live users to these to these gigs. You know, Zach Baird, um, you know, he's out with Corn and some of these other bands, and we got some West Coast guys. So if I get a call or just a quick email and it's something that's a little bit, you know, involves a little bit more person-to-person type of interfacing, I'll, I'll reach out to some of our right. some of our live users. Like, it, for example, some of our certified trainers, which is great, you know, these certified events that really – you know, it lets us know that we've got some strong, some strong live chop. Well, I didn't guys know about. I didn't know about the certified training. Is that that sounds a bit like the kind of Microsoft thing? Is that is it the same thing? You get kind of certified. Do you have to pass a course, or how do you how do you become that's, certified? It's, that's that's the way it works. We do things a little bit different. It's it's a certified uh, training weekend, and it's even though the name comes across as training, basically it's assessment and feedback. So it's two days of like incredibly immersed evaluation of these guys who sign up and uh, get accepted into these events and we just had one in seattle we had one in september in toronto next one will be in colorado so and basically you get five or six guys you know we try to top it out you know five six seven eight kind of thing and and, um you really get when these when these guys leave on the last day and they they're certified you know they know and we know that they could get up in front of a a crowd or a workshop or, or you know, do some, you know, help train, you know, a tour set up, you know, getting guys set up like that. So um, it's nice. And we've probably got around 40 to 45 in the States. Oh, right. Um, a couple in Canada, Toronto and, and Vancouver. And then where it's really stretched out and working well is in the, um, in Europe and uh, Australia. So, and you can check all that stuff out on, on the website too, under the education tab, but it's, I really enjoy doing that. I, I coordinate the events in the States and Canada, and it gives me an opportunity to see the ninjas, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really does. And, it, and it's it, to answer, it goes back to your question about you know, referring people that we can count on, we can rely on to get that information delivered the right way to these, you know, these people who really need it, these tours and yeah, yeah. You know, studio setups and things like that. So. There was one other question I wanted to ask you, which is uh, maybe kind of something that people wonder, how you kind of get into this. I mean, how do you get from being where, I presume where you started, which was kind of a musician or, uh, you know, working in the audio business in your own right to becoming a kind of um, a, a demonstrator with such a depth of knowledge or, you know, getting to that position. Where, how, what was your route through? You know, well, I started, you know, in the production circles and as a programmer and as a producer um, and as a musician. And I started to, to really what kicked it off was doing uh, audio demos for it was actually a Kai back in the day, back in the NPC days in the 90s. And um, that led to introductions. You know, you get introduced to people within these companies and yeah. you'll get a call to, hey, we're doing a trade show or we're doing a workshop. And so you, you shake some more hands, you get to know more people. And uh, for, you know, my journey if you will sort of travel to the different companies i was fortunate to be involved with like korg and akai and that led to a relationship with companies like roland and, and then i got into the, the software uh sound design you know preset and patch type stuff where i got to meet guys like dave spears and you know through companies like m audio and it's sort of sort of just you know really sticking to what i felt 
I did best and what I enjoyed, and that was sound design and doing audio demos and, and delivering on schedule and, and also developing those relationships. That's mm. an important part too. And so using those kinds of relationships as referrals to get introduced to other, you know, companies that may need, you know, some help. So there's a fine line between, um, uh, you know, getting too pushy with that stuff. Yeah, too. Yeah. It's, um, do, do you it's still get time to do um, the kind of the, the, the creative side of things? I mean, you kind of still get to, to produce and, and work outside of Ableton or are you, are, do you I, contractually obliged to use live for absolutely everything? <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not contractually obliged to use, you know, live on everything, um, you know, within reason, you know, it's like I do all my work inside live, but I also do, um, you know, third party sound design from time to time. But I, I, I do do a little bit of outside work doing multimedia uh, composition um, and composing. But I, I really, most of my time is engrossed with Ableton because I'm on the sound design team, you know, doing sound design for all our you know, oh, okay. instruments, construction kits and all that kind of stuff. Um, I also do a lot of our tutorials and movies, as you know. So it, it pretty much keeps me ensconced with live almost all the times. But occasionally I will, um, unfortunately, be able to, you know, work on a project outside of Ableton, just doing some sound design. You know, like not, you know, obviously a non-DAW project, but um, or a competing DAW project, but you know, usually you know, a third-party type right. situation. So you, Someone, you know, like with somebody like Dave, for example, you know. With, with, you know, something he may be working on or, or not. Like yes. All right. Well, interesting, interesting stuff. Houston, I, I'd like to bring perhaps uh, some of the other panel in here. Um, I, I don't know if anyone's got any questions for Houston or whether you would like to move on to uh, the, the first topic in our list. I'll leave it entirely up to you. That sounds like first topic in the list then. <laughs> Houston, you've just covered everything so well. That's obviously what it is. And my questions have been so complete. There's a, there's a, there are no gaps in anybody's understanding in, in anything, which is obviously a testament to our, both of our professional um, professionalisms. Anyway, I'm going to play this for you. That was, of course, the sound of Richard Devine um, demonstrating the brand new Moog Slim Fatty, which is uh, a brand new uh, Moog synth. I, to me, it looks a little bit like um, the kind of just the desktop version of the Little Fatty, but it, I think it's a bit more to it than that. 100% um, analog audio path, arpeggio and LFO sync, uh, USB MIDI control voltage connectivity, external audio processing, and um, obviously able to do all sorts of glitchery and uh, nonsense. And it does actually look like, I mean, and I'm not really a Moog guy, but this is the first Moog I've seen thinking, you know what, I think I could go for something like this. Um, did anyone anyone get to see this? Has this been uh, has this has Dave Spears synth guy? Have you had a chance to check it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not the machine itself, but I checked the videos out and listened to it, and it looks really cool. Actually, it looks really quite interesting. A couple of, couple of oscillators. Hey, what's that noise? Is that, is that you or is that Houston? Houston, is that Houston? Mm. Nick, I, guys, I have my grubby little hands. On a slim fatty. Yeah, joking. Oh, cool. Woohoo! <laughs> very, it's very brief. 
but uh, I've I've got a great relationship with the with the folks at Moog, and I'm doing some uh, beta testing um, with the arpeggiator and the LFO sync and some preset design. So I've got it got it for a couple of days, and I and I love it. It's it's absolutely what you think it is. It's uh, it takes me back actually to the um, to the rack mode, you know, the MIDI MIDI mode and the SE one type type of situation. You know, it's very portable, kind of like a V synth, you know, with the angle slope to it. But the uh, the architecture is very similar, obviously, to the little fatty. But it just sounds amazing. I'm totally in love with it. So. Ah, it's got it's, it's a Moog. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I think it's, the list is eight four nine. I mean, it's been hovering between eight hundred and uh, eight eight fifty. Um, and I don't know what. I mean, I don't think, unfortunately, that will translate to a good um, dollar um, exchange rate because it's built in the USA, so we get bonked on the import duty and what have you. But I'm really tempted, actually. I'm re- really am tempted. Um, are you, uh, Dave? Are you going to go for it? Uh, quite possibly. Yeah, I bought the little iPhone app. Yes, I, well, I've I got that too. <laughs> They've also got. I too much time to play with that have you mucked about with it much uh no i switched on literally this afternoon and didn't get time because i was going to try and run it a little bit into the uh, in the show but i just didn't get time to set it up in the end i did get this though recognize that piano sound oh. <laughs> is that 40 is that 41 or 16 on the M1. <laughs> that was, well, it's not the M1, actually. It's the um, Korg oh. Micro Station, <laughs> which has got a genuine M1 piano sound. Yes. It's so clangy and clangorous, isn't it? Although I don't think they've got the quite the uh, excellent sample quality of the M1 in there, but I, I digress. Um, Rich, you're a Moog guy. Uh, you've got a Moog. I mean, is this something that you might consider to uh, enhance your arsenal, as it were? Don't think so, but on the other hand, I was really impressed with the sound of the demos, and it's a wonderful-looking product, mm. and I wouldn't rule it out, but being that I have a Mini Moog, it doesn't seem like something I really need. Yeah, but, uh, well, I suppose. It, but the on the other thing. hand, it's got an arpeggiator and some other things. I mean, it's nice. It's really nice. I was impressed. Yeah, I think I think this could be, because, I mean, they're Moog, aside from the Murph stuff, the, the Murph pedals... Uh, the Moogafugas, rather. This is kind of um, in the area that c- that mortals can afford, can have a piece of Moog. I suspect they might well be shipping a whole bunch of these things quite soon. Right. It's, to me, the idea of a two-oscillator Moog synthesizer with the Moog ladder filter for under 900 bucks list is incredible. Mm. Uh, the only thing I did notice that would have been really cool if they could have put uh, some CV conversion in it as well. So because at the moment it just takes CV in, Houston, you might be able to clear this up. But it's got a USB and a MIDI interface. It'd be great if it just had like a CV and a trigger out or something, so you could interface it with other stuff. But maybe uh, that's asking too much. Can you confirm or deny? I can only confirm what you said. Uh, CV in is is what I, as far as I can tell, you know, it has USB and analog you know, in, but the, um, for CV purposes, yeah. That yeah, would no, be, that, would, that would be the only thing I could think of as, a, as an, a, a, you know, perhaps not the uh, clearest thing. Gaz Williams, uh, I, you've been silent for such a long time, I feel it's only fair <laughs> to bring you in at this point. Are you a Moog guy? Oh, I'd love to have one. I really came very close to pulling the trigger on a memory Moog recently, but <gasps> I, uh, 
I got a little bit frightened from <laughs> from uh, hearing about the reliability issues with it, and uh, I saw a photograph on the internet of the internals of it, and it was uh, yeah a little bit worrying. Um, but yeah, I, oh, I've been t- tossing and turning with getting a little fatty, so I'd be quite interested to know what the difference between this and the little fatty actually is. Has the little fatty got a sub? I, I mean, I don't know. That's oh, the thing. No, I don't think. No, I don't I'm, think it has. Okay, I don't know. Um, Houston, do you have any uh, any inkling? Is there are there any bullet point differences that you're aware of? Well, there's uh, there's multiple tuning scales. I know that, which is kind of interesting. And um, the arpeggiator is is enhanced with LFO and MIDI sync off the the little fatty. Architecture wise, as far as modulation and filtering, uh, it's identical. Oh, really? From what I can tell so. Um, that's interesting it's about the size you know it's really cool it's literally about a third two-thirds the size of the main panel of the little fatty is it like the size of the sherman filter bank that sort of size maybe a bit bigger uh, yeah exactly exactly mine it stands rack. this this unit doesn't have the little rack ears but um yeah i've actually got it sitting on a piece of foam on top of the little fatty and it's really sort of swallowed up Ooh, so tell you, what. you can imagine the portability. Yeah, it's nice. That and the Sherman filter bank together. Mm, <laughs> now we're talking. You know, control voltage-wise too. They've you know with the CP the little two fifty one they make there and and some of the oh yeah the, the the mod pedal here. thing yeah the two hundred one. I think I think you can get some interesting you know routing and, and CV capabilities there too. I haven't had a chance. No, that pedal is uh, the the, M- the the MP two hundred one. I think it's called. Um, they're con- you know every time we see them at a show, they're always kind of saying, "Oh, I've just found out you can do." You know, they're, they're showing other ways that you can use that pedal because it's it's a bi-directional CV MIDI thing, multi-channel. It's actually quite powerful, um, and I think hooked up with something like this would be pretty cool. And on the back, you know, control inputs are volume CV, filter CV, pitch, and keyboard. As far, or as far as a gate, so pretty flexible. I think. I'm just wondering um, why you'd need CV in if you've got MIDI in it, just a little, if you, uh, unless maybe you can't route that stuff. But I think, uh, you know, so Rich and, and Dave you could probably jump in here and be more resourceful than me, but I think you can look at that when you're starting to work in a in more of a real-time sense right. with different pedals and, and, and something like a memory mode or something, mm. or, you know, using another type of analog board is your right. source uh, create okay. some stuff so i got you i think in the studio got, yeah sure usb sort of take care of it so so guys you got the, sorry go go Dave. sorry uh, it's just a question houston has it got because obviously on the little fatter you've got a default four pole but you can also change it to two three or one pole is, is that the same on the slim or not or do we the, not? uh in the master um there's four pole filter poles are four but then you could go i think you can build in Yes, four is the max, one to four. So okay, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, on the slim fatty, yeah. So it's but it's the same. Oh, nice. So basically, yeah. um, Gaz, it's pretty much the same, but without the keyboard. And so, uh, as far as we can tell, so that might be hmm. your trigger finger might need to get itchy again. I, I think you'll probably have <laughs> less servicing issues with the yeah. uh, the slim fatty than you would with the um, uh, the memory move for sure, for sure. <laughs> There'd be no way to cascade uh, a bunch of them to get sort of... Uh, polyphony. Poly- polyphony. You could, I guess, if you had some sort of MIDI routing going on, you could. Uh, and you had the same... I mean, is, is it, see it, why not. Yeah. Is it programmable? Am I kind of... It's programmable, right? Is it? 
Well, preset wise? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, of Absolutely. course it is. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so if you call them up. I mean, that's what I'm doing with it now. I'm just trying to find, you know, rewritable, you know, patch bank so I can go in there and do some presets. But I'm actually using it with the external instrument effect on live. So I'm experimenting in Ableton with compressor, you know, onboard compressors and choruses and things like that. So um, it's oh, one nice. of the features in live that allows you to do a low latency external instrument setup. Uh, so the USB Analog. the USB is MIDI only there's no audio cap- um part to the to that USB right uh, MIDI only as right. far as I, I know but it, I may, it makes sense but well I, I am tempted I've, I've I've already put in a request for review but I haven't even had a response yet so I'm guessing that there must be a massively stacked in tray of can I have one for review going on <laughs> I might try the distributor route see but I would really like to um to check it out actually because it does um it does look like for the first time something that i would consider i i've never really been a mood guy and i think it's purely uh, um purely because the in my lo-fi world that i've come up through from four track to atari to um to mirage the moog has always been so massively huge and fat that there's no room for it in any of my mixes because it makes everything else i put in a mix sound completely I, crap <laughs> you know with that said with that said nick it's really interesting guys i'm i'm actually holding the, the Slim Fatty, this sounds kind of ironic, doesn't it? I'm holding the Slim Fatty in my hand in the air. I mean, you could almost, you could literally put this in your backpack, which is amazing <laughs> to me. So, Ah, so the weight, uh, the, I, we're talking uh, mass- just, audio weight and it, physical weight are not linked. And it's, <laughs> and it's metal. You know, this isn't plastic. This is like full metal, but it's literally, in the, I'm holding it in the air. Right. Hand, so it's... Uh, there's something, yeah, ironic about saying I'm holding the slim fatty. <laughs> it's a different story. Well, I think we're going to look forward to uh, much more of that. I'm certainly, I'm sure Moog will be releasing more video stuff, and we will be chasing like demons to get the uh, the review copy. So uh, we'll see how we get on. Of course, uh, next week um, there will be no show, so uh, there won't be a review either. Um, not that that's really got anything to do with it. I think perhaps at this point um, we should probably um, say hello and welcome and thank you to our show sponsor, who are Yamaha. Uh, Yamaha would like to let you know about the Motif XF, which is, uh, as we know, their f- sort of flagship workstation, the, the top of the range. It's just coming to stores now. 740 megabytes of internal wave ROM, which is twice that of the... Uh, the earlier models, two gigabytes of optional flash wave memory, uh, huge large format uh, voice libraries. There's so much to it that uh, you really should probably go and check out in the store. In fact, if you're in the UK, this week sees the first shipment of deliveries and some retailers, and I'm guessing this might happen internationally, are offering it with a... uh, a 512 flash board, so you get 512 megs of, uh, of RAM as well as the 128 megabytes of onboard sample RAM, so you can sample directly into it. Um, there's also, uh, in the UK, you can, uh, if you buy a, a Motif XF from one of the Yamaha Pulse stores, which are the special stores within stores they do in the big retailers, you get uh, 175 quid's worth of Yamaha product training from a specialist. And uh, there's more Motif XF workshops uh, happening in November, which again is in the UK. You want to check out uh, yamahadownload.com or sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha uh, to see where that's all at. And I'm guessing this is going to be the case wherever you are in the world. They're going to be rolling it out all over the place. So once again, we thank uh, Yamaha very much for their continued sponsorship of the show, yamaha.co.uk or sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, next topic, PowerCore 4. I saw this and I thought, oh, gosh, I'd sort of almost forgotten about this. PowerCore, of course, is the TC Electronics um, DSP 
acceleration system, which uh, I think runs on PCI, on Firewire. I think that's it for now. The, the current model is the X8, which gives you a, a lot of extra juice. Um, they've just released, I think it came out on the 5th of October, so it's not just released, uh, the version 4, which includes uh, Snow Leopard, 32-bit uh, and 64-bit kernel modes. Uh, it actually increases a lot more of the driver possibilities. I mean, I was looking back at this, and the power core is actually been in existence since about 2001 and it's not something you kind of see that much of I guess I think I've got one or had one in for review and, and Gaz we were talking before the show Gaz Williams and you said you've actually got PowerCore what PowerCore do you use I've just got the little baby one which is called the PowerCore Compact is that the uh, little, um, little box that's is it Firewire yeah Firewire little Firewire box um, which I used to use a lot uh, I I haven't been using it too much recently, partly because of the issues I've been having with Snow Leopard, because I use a Mac. Uh, and I've just, thanks to your show notes, just downloaded <laughs> version 4 today. And to be honest, there's just one plugin that I just can't live without on the, on the PowerCore platform, which is Character, which uh, I think is a third-party one um, by Novel Tech. I think that's the only piece of software that they make. Uh, but it's just a really great, uh, it's like an enhancer, but it works in a quite a mysterious way. You just kind of turn, you just plonk it on pretty much any source material, turn it up, uh, <laughs> and it just makes it sound amazing. It's oh, like really? Is, of, it, yeah. is it like one of those, in, one of those um, Apex kind of magic box type things? Yeah, I think so. But I think it works in a way that it somehow analyzes the audio content and sort of works out what the, kind of fundamental frequency is and yeah. it sort of seems to mask the non-essential frequencies of i'm not quite sure how it works it's all a bit secretive um but there's only a few controls on it but it is it's a superb piece of software and uh, i use it where it's great is it's just when you're working on a mix and no matter what you try and do to bring a particular element sort of into focus it's just that's the that's that's the magic the magic one for for doing that, especially on acoustic instruments. It seems to work really really well. Oh, okay, that's yeah. a top tip. I will send us a link and we'll put that in the show notes because I'm sure people will be interested. Because you can pick up uh, power cores, you know, some of the basic um, the well, actually, you need um, the second generation ones, but they range. I've seen mm -hmm. them on DV uh, Digital Village for a couple of hundred quid, but they go right up to you know about a grand with with lots of plug-in bundles, as do the UAD and the and the other accelerators. But it seems there's very few of them around. I mean, one of the things that that I didn't like about um, any of them was that I was sort of excited by the prospect of playing virtual instruments through them. Do you, can you play real-time through it, or is it not really fast enough for that sort of thing? To... Uh, well, I've got the demo of uh, the virus, yeah. uh, which um, access virus, and, uh, and there's a little button on all of the plugins, uh, the PowerCore plugins, that makes it run in a kind of low latency mode at at the expense of how many instances of things that you can run on it uh and it certainly seemed to work okay but uh, uh i was very keen on getting the virus but then i read loads of horror stories so i uh i kind of i i, I haven't um hmm. but well, it's, I, the, I, it's, I, the, it's the only instrument i think that runs on the PowerCore platform as far it, as i understand it, no, there is uh, one of the ones you get as a freebie uh, with the basic package is a an SH101 uh, emulation. Oh, right. Oh, and there's a Novation thing as well, isn't there? 
Oh yeah, V Station. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Of course. Uh, and the little SH one hundred one sounds really good. Actually, there's a kind of um, I think it's TC's own uh, model of it, um, and uh, yeah, it's got a real raspy, buzzy quality. Which I'm going to have to dig. I think I've got a unit um, at the back that I'm going to have to dig out and see how that. Uh, see if I can get it to to perform because that sounds like a, that's the thing that always put me off a little bit. Anybody else got any experience with the PowerCore stuff, uh, Dave? Have you used that that stuff? Yeah, I had the older card. I think when I was on the G5, but I, obviously I lost that when uh, all the you know the ports changed. Yeah, but I do miss that little virus synth. I really liked it actually, and like um, Gaz said, the little 101 I thought was great. Oh, but the virus found its way into a lot of tracks that I was working on at the time. <laughs> Some great sounds. Well, there always are on those. Rich, I know you're a UAD guy, aren't you, really? Uh, uh, would that be fair to say, or have you tried the PowerCore stuff? I'm a soon-to-be UAD guy. Ah. In fact, I await delivery today. Oh, you did? UAD you you took the jump. Card. Have you done what you said? You, you've ditched one of the DSP cards and you're going for UAD. Did you go the USD 4-chip well, version card? I got the quad card with their full-on soup-to-nuts software package. It's called, quad, it's called the Quad Omni package. That's with all 34 and plugins, I believe. I believe it's 50 now. Woo! Could be wrong. Um, including a new Echoplex model that I was watching the demo of on their website that's really impressive. But beyond that, um, I haven't done the physical swap yet, but I have actually sold the Pro Tools card already. And... Uh, if I receive the UAD card today before I go to the studio, I will swap them out. Oh, well, let's know how you get on. That'll be kind of interesting because yeah. uh, that was that's all it's all a jump, but they've got a lot of juice. They seem to, I mean, I think, would it be fair to say that they are probably the more dominant platform for power plugins? Would that be a fair assumption? More dominant than whom? Than PowerCore? The, the, the TC stuff, yeah. I have yet to meet anyone who runs a TC PowerCore rig these days. Hmm. I, I literally posed the question in the chat room before. Does anybody use this? I mean, maybe they're maybe they have a great user base somewhere that I don't get to very often. But I have never seen this stuff, and I don't see anything in their list of offerings that makes me want to go buy it. I think. I the, mean, I know that it must work for somebody, but yeah, I don't not, get it. Okay. Well, fair enough. Anyway, PowerCore four. Uh, I'm glad, Gaz, that it's uh, fixed it for you. Anyway, are you running on a PCI or? Yeah. Oh no, you've got the you've got the. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a FireWire one. But uh, I mean, I, I've had all all sorts of problems over the years with Firewire, and I've got a liquid mix as well. And just uh, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, in a way, I guess with the power of modern computers, the uh, the need for um, these powered plugins is less, I guess, now really than maybe right. a few years ago. But uh, oh, I've had all sorts of clashes with Firewire, oh, and dear. you know. I nearly threw my liquid mix out the window once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yikes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's a problem with fire. I know, Houston, have you got any experience with any of this DSP accelerated stuff? I mean, I guess a lot of the things, you know, obviously Ableton's got its own sort of ecosystem for that, but uh, do you ever reach for any of this stuff? I use, I, I love the UA stuff. You know, I've got a quad card that I run religiously on my desktop system with Ableton. It's fantastic. I mean, we, we actually do events with UA as well ah, okay. uh, around the country. Rich was at one, uh, yep. I guess, a month or two ago. It was with with the uh, Universal Audio rep from New York. It was it was great. Nice little studio in Brooklyn. And we just, we tried to blow things up, you know, and we really tried to work it and as hard as we could. But I, I love my 
my that's the only card that that I use. But once you once you dive into that UA stuff, it's it's hard to you know venture elsewhere. I, as far yeah, as a, I, I, an outside box, I don't. I don't have. I think the key like is that. the key is with this is obviously you. Everybody that you work with needs to have one to a to a degree, I suppose. So it's one of those things that you know nobody I know or work with has any acceleration, you know, from that point of view. But uh, um, actually, in the chat room, um, would a UAD duo be more than enough for doing projects which don't have more than sixteen tracks? You uh, assuming a, a two or three plugs per track? I wouldn't know. But uh, anybody comment? Would uh, oh yeah, I mean it, it would work great. You know, as far as a, a inside um live for example it would be a wonderful way to work um i know they've got different configurations for the different laptops i know it's kind of a tricky thing if you've got a newer macbook or a macbook pro with a mini port blah oh, yeah, blah blah yeah, yeah. But, you know going mobile I, I i know some guys um that do a lot of mix work that way um and then just transfer in the studio but you know i think rich probably can jump on that a little more knowledge, but I, I, I haven't had a problem in my travels. I'd have to try one. I, I would like to try one of the little PCI Express ones. They look kind of fun too that you can stick on the laptop because I've got one of those laptops which has still got a slot in it. Um, just want to say hi to Flux302. He says, long-time listeners, first live session streaming from my laptop on a 3G card. Way to go. Nice to meet you too, Flux. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, I think that probably covers the uh, the that side of things but uh, interesting in, uh, it's, it's always struck me that there's never been a lot i mean obviously you've got the pro tools thing but outside of that there's not been more of a proliferation i'm guessing that must mean there's not so much of a demand but i think rich you're right perhaps in the u.s the ua stuff is definitely much more prevalent than than tc whereas maybe in the U, uh, uk and europe tc's been a bit more prevalent whereas now ua is starting to kind of come in a little bit more so more people have got it well, uh, this was this was something that was kind of interesting. There's a the, uh, the Korg founder is in a Gorillas video, um, and it's uh, the track called Donkomatic, which was in fact the name of the first device, according to this uh, information that I have, uh, that Korg released, which is a, uh, a drum machine. Uh, it's the inspiration for the new song came from the Korg Donkomatic as a groundbreaking Japanese Japanese designed drum machine introduced by Korg in 1963. It features a sample of the voices voice of Korg's founder and chairman. Satomu Kato. Uh, and I just, this kind of idea got me sort of thinking like, who are these guys? Because we're, you know, we're well aware of Dave Smith. We're well aware of uh, Robert Moog. We're well aware of um, John Bowen and, and, and these kind of other um, synth pioneers. But in terms of the people who've made, you know, the CS80s, the, that sort of things, we don't really know much about them. And it, it kind of struck me as a sort of a shame. And um, I wondered who they were. And I started to do a bit of research. And Dave, do you, you said you know a little bit about the Korg side of things. I mean, this is the guy who obviously know about this. But there's, you know, there's been a lot of major synths at a Korg subsequently. Is it Japanese yeah, the- R&D or is it coming out of America? Do you know anything about that? I think Korg were one of the few people at the beginning who kind of embraced people from outside Japan. Uh, the guy who founded it is quite an interesting character. I think he used to own a nightclub. And uh, he's quite well connected. Uh, but there's a guy called Mr. Mori who did things like, he, he basically designed things like the Monopoly and the CX-3 and stuff like that. And he was pretty prevalent. And then he went off and I think, in fact, I'm pretty certain he founded Zoom. Ah, okay, okay. So there you go. But it's funny. I mean, obviously, the Roland side, we've got Masato, Kamikuriyama, and the V synth, 
Tadao, Kikamoto, 303 and 909. Now, there's something that you can kind of say, I did that. Uh, I don't know who the, C- the Yamaha CS synths were designed by. I mean, uh, Kent Spong in the chat room says that they were, lo- they were mostly for teams, so maybe that's partly it. But it's something that's very much not, you know, I mean, the, 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 the difference between Japanese and, and uh, Western culture has always been quite great. There's been quite a divide. But I wonder if that's partly the reason why we haven't really kind of heard much about it. I don't know, Houston, you've worked for a lot of these um, these companies as well. Have you? Uh, are you perhaps more knowledgeable about this stuff? Or you, do you? You know, those guys are shrouded in mystery. It's like the, the heritage guys, like Dave was talking about the core um, uh, individual that owned a nightclub. I think he a lot of those products came out of his desire, the classic story of just wanting to create something that would do more things for it, for him on stage. So I, I, I'm not familiar at all really with, with too much of the historical figures, you know, the vintage heritage guys, but, um, it's kind of a shame really, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. the, the, there's not more, but I guess, I mean, I guess that's maybe just the way that the society works there. And that's just the way it is, you know, I know, Rich. You you've uh, had a, a, a an involved. You you go and play in Japan as well. I mean, have you kind of had a bit more exposure to those guys than perhaps uh, us? I've learned quite a bit about Japanese culture and the differences in the way it's changing. But as it as it relates specifically to the Japanese synth company with the American office, my experience over the years has been that the guys in the American offices struggle to try to get their ideas incorporated into the instruments and while the Japanese express an interest in the ideas from the Americans they quite often go their own way with that stuff and I don't know that that's bad either Um, but I do know this that for a long time Japan was seen as a place where execution and method were stressed over creativity all of this right. is extraordinarily sweeping in general of so course, please yeah. forgive me please forgive me for all this but um you you have now over the last 30 years i believe that the japanese have become far more involved in the creative aspects witness the breaking of a lot of new groundbreaking technologies and products across all walks of life not just in musical instruments but even in automobiles and in various other areas, you know, watches and electronics of all kinds and all kinds of stuff. And so they've gone from simply executing and improving on ideas that were imported from other places to actually providing groundbreaking technological advances. And so I think that the line there is much less clear now than it once was perhaps when we all started down this synth road in the early 70s. Now, in the broader sense, to answer your question about having been in Japan and observing those differences, um, they're very, very keen on uh, observing what works and what doesn't work. And they're, uh, Jap- I'm enormously impressed with Japan and the people who work there and the people I've met there. And I have nothing but really good things to say. And I'm very excited for them that they're advancing in the creative area. Well, that's, I mean, as uh, Mark JX8P in the chat room says, Korg are really on fire at the moment. And I, I think they kind of have um, a lot of input from, from outside as well. But they've obviously got a really hot creative tree team, or maybe it's an individual. I mean, I don't know who's kind of really firing this stuff out because, I mean, they seem to be doing great work right now. Or, you know, certainly in the last 12 months, there's been some, just tons of it. I don't know who those guys are, you know, with the Chaosolator, you know, the nano stuff, <coughs> micro sampler, all of these things. 
Uh, yeah, they work with that American guy, though. Is he American? Stephen K. Korg kind of collaborate. Oh, I know. I don't know. He's yeah. the guy who... Karma. The guy who came up with Karma. Ah, okay. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he's, I, still, right, I, he's still uh, heavily... I, th- I think he, he's still part of that team, you know, up there at the, the Korg US, for sure. But Stephen still um, is involved with with aspects of his, you know, his technology that he brought to the table i guess it was back in the was that called the karma yeah right? well he yeah. I, I, is that that did they do the software side of the karma because all that phrase it was like taking breaking out of the mold of standard arpeggiators and sort of applying pattern-based arpeggiators. a lot of it guess, was there it? was a, another individual i'll think of his name in a minute that was a primary part of that um wave station evolving right. into the karma and then mixing it all together you know late 90s um didn't uh, Dave Smith have something to do with the wave station as well? The architecture, for sure. The vector side of because, things, I yeah. think. Yeah, it came out of the Prophet VS development, right. All uh, right, okay, okay. It just it just feels like there's a whole bunch of people, a bunch of guys there. But I mean, it's it's. I, I guess the mystery and mystique is no bad thing. It's kind of good in some respects because you just never know what's going to come next. And those guys aren't spending all their time doing interviews on podcasts, I suppose. And <laughs> they're just getting on with the job because they're. It's a very interesting thing about uh, Roland. In yeah, the, I think in the eighties, uh, and I had to do a load of research for a book years and years ago. And Roland had two R and D teams that kind of worked. As rivals, there was one in Osaka and one in Tokyo, which is why you kind of got the Juno 60 come out of one and the JX3P come out of the other. Oh, really? Yeah, so they were kind of always working in competition. That sounds like the uh, approach that Behringer seemed to have taken as well. They do the same sort of thing with hmm. uh, uh, right across the board. Um, obviously, uh, even down to I was talking to somebody at uh, a conference the other day, and they were saying that you know when they visited, they've now got they've got separate uh, cafeterias that feed the workforce, and they're sort of in competition as well. So the whole that whole kind of philosophy is you know is something that's maybe maybe more of an Eastern thing. I don't know, but it sounds like a, a, certainly would keep you on your toes, wouldn't it? I saw a video about. Beringer Village. Uh, have you seen about that? <laughs> yeah, well, we went. Um, well, not I, but Andy went um, last year. And, oh, right. Uh, yeah, and it, it was uh, it was amazing. Uh, absolutely incredible, apparently. Um, unfortunately, um, they wouldn't let him in with any camera equipment. Um, not not Beringer. They were wow. right up for it. That's one of the reasons they went to, to document it. Yeah. But because um, the, 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 at the border they just <laughs> just impounded all his rigs, so he didn't have any, he couldn't do anything. Yeah, I think he came back with a few wobbly uh, shots on his mobile phone, which was just unfortunate. But yeah, amazing stuff. Amazing. But stuff. And, all, and all the workers live. Are they all sleeping in dormitories and stuff? There? I I couldn't say. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that's the way a lot of it's the way it's done over there. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a Behringer thing. It's, it's right. you know, it's one of those things. Um, well, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting because just purely because of the uh, you know, the, 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 the the heritage missing. Um, we've got two left. Now we can take a we can take a poll on these ones. Now we've got the logic gets an update, update and just the general uh, the, the interest about how you maintain something which has such a long legacy and uh, without it becoming bloated and sort of full of stuff you don't need. And I don't think that's necessarily something that I would apply to logic. That's a, most doors suffer from this. Um, or um, Hank Shockley on the hip hop. Shockley. Shockley. Okay. Maybe we'll talk about the uh, the logic update another or lack of because it's not actually much to it apart from 64 bit stuff. But yes, this was an interesting. Let me see. I, I think I have a couple of clips here. Let me play one or two. 
A pause tape is basically is basically using the, the the tape machine as a sampler. So so what you do is you take a record and you would you would find the the the, the part that you wanna that you wanna you know record and you just record those two bars and then you pause the tape and then you wind it back and you do it again and you release it and you pause it again and you keep doing that until you build up this three minutes or four minutes of this loop so to speak but with a pause tape you can also create like parts where it, it changes so so you could do that as well but you can hear the glitches that was uh, part of an interview uh, that was actually um, a promotion for uh, Reason, right. uh, Propelled Reason and uh, Record, because um, Hank Shockley, as, uh, as a long-time user of that, and uh, he's still producing. Hank Shockley, obviously, member of the Bomb Squad, uh, he kind of brought Public Enemy to the fore and would, you know, kind of threw the way the people were making records totally upside down. And that was just one of the outtakes, actually, because the first part is him talking about uh, Reason, which is quite interesting as well. But the, se- the, the second part is a bunch of outtakes was him just talking about what it was like back in the day. And it was just really interesting to hear like a, a hip-hop pioneer talking uh, eloquently about um, the technology and the way that they did. Because, I mean, it's, it, it, it's not something you hear that often. And uh, I thought it was brilliant. My favourite part was when he was talking about he discovered filtering because uh, somebody had been messing about with the SP-1200 while he was in the studio and it, it, the filter had come closed down and he couldn't figure out what was wrong. He thought there was a problem. So he, um, that, that, and then they figured out it was actually a setting. So they used the filtering as a dramatic effect. But it was just all of these wonderful kind of ways that they were using the technology to the max there. And the pause tape thing was just, I thought, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it beats the, you know, the Simply S nine hundred filling up your memory and and and, and doing it that way because that was even pre that. But uh, so, Gaz, uh, d- does does Hank have a uh, a special place in your heart? Oh, definitely. And uh, that's a great interview. I recommend it for everyone to watch because he's, uh, he's really amusing as he's yeah. talking. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember the first time hearing Public Enemy, I'm just not at all being able to understand it at all. Really just couldn't get it one bit. And, uh, yeah, and it, oh, you know, you know, eventually sort of starting to kind of click with it and finding it really cool. But listening to him talk about it is it's it's amazing you know and and i do think uh, we've mentioned this before on previous uh, podcasts uh how you know when you've got too much choice you know you don't have to ha- work within those limitations and and i think like the um i think those limitations are great and you know when you listen to public enemy now it's it's quite easy to listen to relatively because we've become more accustomed to that sound and it's been hugely influential so therefore the sound is uh you know it's kind of not quite so radical now but well, it's um, because it's become part of our vocabulary of of auditory yeah. vocabulary i suppose yeah yeah and you know and since come out with presets which kind of emulate those kind of sounds and whatever but um no i think hank shockley's great he's, he's really really cool i really like him a lot um there's some good but, stuff uh, on there, isn't there? There, there really is. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and Bomb Squad would did. You know, they didn't just do Public Enemy; they did some more commercial stuff as well, didn't they? Bomb Squad, didn't they do some of the early De La Soul stuff? Or am I completely out of the, out of the loop there? But I, I know it has a name. I don't know. Um, Houston, is, I, I'm guessing. You know, if you started out in programming and beats and what have you, you might have been doing stuff within or you know near near and around that kind of era when things were really sort of just totally blowing up and technology was becoming more accessible 
Yeah, that, I mean, those were times when your gear was delivered to the studio because you had these racks of heavy Akai samplers. But I, I basically traveled with a couple of S1000s and a rack of 950s. And, you know, my gig was to do the old Marley Marl type thing. You know, we'd get in there and set a MIDI a MIDI cue point and we would sample parts and fly them back and forth and stack things up. So it was very cumbersome, but it was really exciting too. And it, I looked fondly back on those, on those times because it was, you know, we didn't have the, the, you know, audio sequencing type of setup. We were literally relying on big, I think they were called Martist cards. You know, you get like an eight megabyte card for your, for your vocals and your loops and, so that's the era I came back up in. And then I didn't really get into using audio in the DAW until um, Studio Vision, because I was a Vision user. So, right. um, But, you know, I, the stuff that Hank's talking about, I mean, that is really old school, and it's fascinating. I mean, he's a what, great guy anyway. What was so fascinating about it, because he was a DJ on a, on a radio station, and he was playing kind of hip-hop and this new sound, and they just there were so few records coming out that they ended up making them all themselves to kind of fill the airtime using pause tapes, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And there's, what he was talking about was, you know, there would be kids come in with their pause tape demos, and they'd rap live over them, and then they'd be out live on the show, and it really, he, he must have been a big mover in terms of actually bringing uh, that whole genre to, to the forefront. You know, the, the, in, in a way, it's in, you know, it comes full circle, because if you look at a, a program like Ableton Live with the clip slots, you, know, you can offset and designate those start markers for each clip. So you can have one piece of audio, say, 60 seconds long, but you can subdivide those into different clips and launch those instantaneously. So in a way, it's sort of a modern, it's a little more exacting, but it's sort of a modernized version of what Hank is talking about. So I thought that was interesting. I want to go listen to that interview. I thought it was just kind of interesting how it, in a way, it ties into that non-linear approach, uh-huh. if you will. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm rich. I'm yeah. guessing that perhaps um, Hank Shockley's not um, in your in your in your um, repertoire of um, hip hop library that you might have on your iPod, but I, I could be completely wrong. No, you wouldn't be wrong there. Uh, I did meet I did meet Hank Shockley about twenty years ago briefly. All right, um, and I'm very very unqualified to comment on his music, except that I enjoyed the video and enjoyed uh, his enthusiasm for the way he likes to use reason. Mm. Yeah, that, the the first part of the video is him sort of explaining how he uses it and how it works. I mean, the, what was quite interesting is he said when it when reason first came along, all he used was the the, the Doctor mm-hmm. X player because it was just like having a massive bank of S nine hundreds. And I thought that yeah. was quite that was just quite sort of uh, cute in a way, you know. Yeah. I know, Dave. As uh, I'm not sure that this this genre of music has kind of figured massively in your listening past, but um, it's kind of fun to yeah. hear his. Nice. Oh, right. Big. I apologize hugely. I thought <laughs> It Takes a Nation of Millions was just a really, really brilliant record. And like from start to finish, basically. And what I loved about it was the energy and the vibe. And, and again, you know, there was just this sort of it was all about the performance. And I know that sounds kind of weird when it involves so many samples, but there was a it, it, it was just full on. I love, I still play loads of that stuff in the car now, particularly when we go to Nam. <laughs> I, you know, funny enough, whenever I'm in Nam in a car, I'm, I'm, I'm going the uh, West Coast rock. I've got to have a bit of uh, Joan Jett and uh, Bon Jovi for some reason. I, I'm, not, I'm not big fans <laughs> of the, uh, I'm a big fan of Joan Jett, obviously that word, but I, I just can't help myself. 
And it's, but it's always straight good. Out of, straight out of Compton. Straight out know. of Trumpton, as we used to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> from, from, uh, from our little sort of uh, middle-class white um, backgrounds, yeah. Yes. Anyway, oh, it's, a great, it's a great piece. And, you know, it's a sort of spotlight on an area of music production that doesn't necessarily get a lot of uh, spotlight on it because it's 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 quite a secretive thing the way you know because hip-hop was all was always quite secretive it's like how did my sound the breaks i find you know it was something that you kind of kept to yourself it's not something it wasn't a an open source kind of project i mean it's it's the case with a lot of music production but perhaps a little more so with hip-hop i mean i used to do quite a lot of hip-hop production for a guy um uh, in bath and and it was just really fun putting together records because it would just be like here's a break here's a break and your job would essentially be to kind of figure out how to get them to work together or be told no that's fine if you couldn't sort of make musical sense of it yourself and i, I that, love that aspect yeah of it, sometimes they were layering majors over minors and stuff like that and as a musician you were kind of going mm, and they were just like nope that works and it did yeah yeah there was a an engineer too that was really prominent in that creating that stuff dave do you, you remember who that was because it, it's a really interesting story but I, I can't recall but the engineer sort of like the rick rubin sort of thing you know like had a lot to do with that as well yeah this. i don't i'm afraid i don't know so, so you know to kind of mash all that stuff together you know to get that loose but you know cool sound so I, and I mean don't forget bomb squad did stuff like you know um do you remember that bell biv devoe poison which was very kind of Teddy Riley, wasn't it? All right. Yeah, well, yeah Dr. Freeze and Spider-Man. And I mean, that, those yeah. guys were, you know, they used the RM50 Yamaha drum machine for like a lot of that stuff. And the S900 and it's crazy. So, was, well, so a lot of it is about, you know, back then, I mean, there wasn't much choice, was there? Because, I mean, that's all there was. And I mean, I didn't get an S900 until it was secondhand, you know, until the S1000 came out. Then I could afford an S900 because it was cheap comparatively anyway um and it was second hand but uh and i'm guessing it must have been the same sort of thing in the states you know particularly with some of those guys who are coming from like poorer backgrounds they just had to kind of work with what they got or maybe there'd be one or two guys who you could have who afforded that and they'd be the conduits through which all of the rappers and the people who had ideas would have to flow through because that's all there was but it was outside of the normal kind of big studio kind of structure i guess sb1200 was certainly instrumental or sb12 actually too yeah Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Um, so I thoroughly recommend that. Um, good, good on um, Propeller Heads for you know making a piece of PR and actually putting the outtakes up there. So there's some other stuff that's not purely designed to uh, to spread the word, as it were. But uh, yeah, nice, nice, nice work use of the video format. Um, and I think we're kind of heading towards the uh, the end of our show. It's been great fun once again. I really, really thank you very much. Um, I don't think there's time to squeeze one more in because. Um, I, I imagine there's quite a lot to talk about on this one. So we'll we'll maybe use uh, Logic Gets an Update uh, another time. But um, next week, unfortunately, um, there's no show because it's half term and I'm going to be going away to stay in a caravan on the south coast of England now that the weather's turned very cold. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that it's not going to be totally freezing, although there was a frost this morning. So, well, we'll see. But anyway, so no show next week. The show resumes. Uh, what's next week? Next week's 27th. The show will be back. I think it's the 3rd of November is the next Wednesday on the on the uh, the schedule. But anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. I'll say thank you very much, first of all, to Houston Singletree from Ableton. I really do appreciate you taking time out. And uh, I guess you're going to leap on a plane and go and train some people any second now, right? We are uh, at New York and then Boston. We have the bridge tour, which is launching the Serato Ableton 
uh, bridge announcement. So we're hitting about eight cities in about three weeks. So wow. we'll be busy doing that, um, out promoting that. So yeah, I is that Ableton? It. Ableton for having me on the show. Ableton dot com for for tour dates and stuff, or is there a, another place that's more absolutely? Specific? You can type in yes, you can type in ableton.com forward slash bridge, and, and um, everything is right there on the front page. So it'll talk about the bridge tour and amp, um, and there's always that downloadable. A fully functional demo that's always there for the new user. So, great. Well, thank you. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Houston. Very much appreciated. Um, we'll also, while thanks we're over there, we'll say thank you to Rich Hilton. Uh, thanks for giving up some of your valuable time to join us again. Always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure to be had. I'm glad to hear that, Rich. And uh, everybody <laughs> enjoy their week off next week. And we'll come back over to this side of the world and say thank you uh, also to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and thank you for getting the mic. And that definitely uh, definitely makes makes a huge difference. It's quite it's nice to nice to have you in a more clear and present form. <laughs> About time. Yes, although you got a bit quiet. I think the auto gain stopped working. <laughs> the Britney Spears mic. Ah. <laughs> And well, anyway, g4software.com. Stay tuned uh, for all things GeForce right there. And uh, also, thank you very much to Gaz Williams. Uh, took taken time out from a busy session. Are your band uh, hammering at the door? Have you locked them out? Are they standing outside in the cold waiting for you to finish? He's just well, one of them's just come in now. Uh, so I think uh, I think I am being beckoned back. Into Perfect the timing. Is it a project you can talk about? <laughs> it's a it's a new band called Troubadour Hook, based in Bristol. It's really, really nice, kind of little folky. Reminds me a little bit of uh, mid-70s Fleetwood Mac. Oh. <laughs> I don't think they'll mind me saying that, but it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's really lovely. And uh, we've done it as a, like a location recording in this uh, fantastic place, which has got a huge, big room. Uh, so we've put plenty of mics up to capture lots of the ambience, and uh, that should be ready fairly soon, I think. Um, but yeah, check them out. Troubadour, Troubadour Hook. I think they've got a MySpace page. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you very much. Yeah. So thanks to everybody. Thanks again uh, to everybody in the chat room. We had a bumper week this week. Uh, Houston, it must be your pulling power. You're obviously a celebrity um, in our world. You'll have to come on again and boost the numbers. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, and also, uh, thank you very much to the show sponsors, uh, yamaha.co.uk or if you want to, yamahadownload.com, sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha. All those routes will get you through to where you need to find out about stuff. So that's it for this week. Uh, Sonic Talk number 194. Four is a wrap and uh, remember no show next week